This is Dave Larzelier. Welcome to the Balanced Band Director Podcast, a show about music, band directing, leadership, and balancing your life and career. Each episode, I have the tremendous honor to speak to educators, composers, and friends who will share their insights and experiences about life and teaching. I hope that you find these interviews inspiring and motivating, and they help bring balance to your own life and career. Please connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at Balanced Band Director, or send me an email at balancedbanddirector at gmail.com. I hope you enjoy the show, and I appreciate you listening. Elizabeth, are you there? I am. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, it's perfect. Good morning. How's everything going? Not bad. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Balanced Band Director podcast today. I'm excited. Well, thank to have... you for inviting me. Yeah, I'm excited to have a conversation with you. Um, for my guests, uh, or my uh, listeners, I should say, my guest is Elizabeth Herring, and she is the band director at Livonia Churchill. Um, and so, again, excited to have her on today. Um, can you just start by telling us what you do at Churchill, what the program is like, and uh, you know, how long you've been there, and all what, what the classes you teach are? Well, I'm about to start my 21st year in the Livonia Public School District, uh, but this is my 20th year at Churchill. I actually started out as an elementary band director before I moved up into Churchill. Um, And my program right now, I'm only doing um, band, but in the past I have done band and orchestra. So I have three band classes and I also teach what's called the theater tech class, which means I basically train the crew that runs all the the shows in the performing arts center this year we're gonna transition into kind of a surprise guitar class because i don't (laughs) imagine we're gonna have very many shows so um we will have 15 guitars showing up and and the kids will get the new curriculum that they're not really expecting and then i also have an hour where i um i'm actually the k-12 coordinator for the district so i do a lot of different things uh at churchill yeah, wow, that sounds um, like you have a busy schedule. For sure. How, how did you get involved in the theater tech class, just out of curiosity? Well, in 2015, our, our community passed a bond that um, renovated every single building in the district. And one of the renovations was the performing arts centers. Mm-hmm. And with that renovation, they wanted to make sure that each performing arts center was managed and had a system for for crewing all of the all of the shows so they hired some managers that come in and actually manage the shows and then there's teachers that teach the classes that train the crew um and it was something i was interested in doing i i enjoy the opportunity to actually be involved with um more than just training the crew but scheduling the events and taking care of the equipment i can't say i had any experience with that um in the past so it's kind of trial by fire but yeah i've actually enjoyed getting to learn how to do that's cool. I was actually just going to ask if that was if something you're passionate about or is that something you kind of were just thrust into? Sounds like the latter. Yeah, it was the latter, but at least it's something that interests me. So and it's, it's um, I, I enjoy technology and it's something that I've enjoyed getting to learn how to do. But I still feel out, out of my element in some of the areas of sure. of the Performing Arts Center. But especially the audio um, is something that that is kind of up my alley. Now, are you are you like actually working with like tools and making sets and painting and all that stuff too no that's all done by the drama department so my crew really just works on the consoles and uh, manages the events 
Oh man, I love that. I, we have a really nice auditorium in East Lansing, um, but all of our stuff is done outside of the school day. And we kind of have, we have a, um, I wouldn't even really, he's kind of a manager. I wouldn't even really call him a manager, but he basically just kind of runs the lights and the sounds for all of our events. Um, but we've often, I've often tried to encourage him to put together some kind of student crew. Cause a lot of that stuff is so, uh, it's, it, you know, first of all, it can be managed by students, but Second of all, I think it's just a great kind of almost like a job training for a lot of kids, you know. It really is. And there's a lot of life skills that are transferable to future careers that aren't even in the performing arts. And there's a lot of band kids that take it. I mean, I think part of that is because I'm the teacher, but I think that the band kids kind of like that kind of hands-on activity that is different from what they get in their academic classes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's neat. That's really cool. I didn't realize you guys did that. That's awesome. Um, do you also have, do you have like a jazz band? I know you have marching band. You have like a whole kind of program. I do actually. So I just, I listed what I do during the day after school. Um, we have an all volunteer marching band, so it's completely extracurricular. Um, or at least it has been this year. I'm going to blend it a little bit more. Um, so the kids who are in marching band aren't necessarily, um, all the kids in the band program. Um, it's the kids who are in the band program that choose to march. And we do that in the fall. We're non-competitive. We're a football <laughs> band. We shake a lot of booty. We um, don't do a ton, of, don't do a, a ton of sets. And it's a really fun way to um, be a part of the Churchill culture. Sure. And then I've got two jazz bands that meet in the winter. Those are both after school as well. I've tried to get it put during, um, during the schedule as a class as a seventh hour, but I've not been able to get the district support to do that yet. Um, and then we run a lot of chamber ensembles at Churchill. So I've um, led various chamber ensembles and then I bring coaches in to do some of the ensembles as well. So um, I, one thing I don't do after school that a lot of people do is, is direct the pit orchestra. So I feel like even though I've got a lot going on after school, I don't have as much as some, some directors because I don't have that pit. Nice. Um, with your, if we could just maybe just drill down a little on the chamber groups. I mean, that's something I think that has become really popular in the last maybe 10 years in, in, you know, public school bands. How do you, how do you organize that? I mean, is that something that you, do you pick music, do you pick groups or do you kind of, kind of manage and let students do a lot of the work on that end? Yes, I do. I do all of that. So I run it a little bit differently each year. Um, we've really got organized probably about 10 or 12 years ago by creating um, an all city chamber program. So it involves students from all three uh, Livonia high schools. And so I'm a brass player. So I, I conducted the brass ensemble and the Stevenson high school band director is a flute player. So she conducted a flute uh, ensemble. We have a clarinet uh, player Patty Kilgore she's one of the middle school directors she did a clarinet ensemble and then we brought in coaches to do um, the saxophone ensemble and um, I have a percussion ensemble that wasn't part of the the uh, all city program but I bring in a coach to do that and that's been really popular every year so we we got to the point where we decided we we're big enough that we didn't want to do it all city anymore so now we run it within our own schools Mm -hmm. and every year it's a little bit different so sometimes I'm directing a group sometimes I'm a student teacher directing a group sometimes I have coaches sometimes I have kids I always have the percussion instructor doing the percussion ensemble Um, but it really depends on the demands uh, of the students and my time demands sure and then is this something that is beyond solo and ensemble or is this kind of is that the main focus is to go to, to contest 
Okay. Well, originally our main focus was to go to Solon on someone that was kind of the big event. And then we found that it was actually really hard to work within the rules of Solon ensemble if sure. we wanted to allow anybody who wanted to do it to be in these chamber groups. Right. So we have eliminated Solon ensemble as um, one of the focuses and we do a chamber en ensemble recital at Churchill. But some of the ensembles do go to Solon Ensemble. Like sure. the percussion ensemble always does. Yeah. And then if we have a smaller chamber group, like sometimes the flute group is small enough um, that it fits within the rules pretty easily, they'll go yeah. to. That's cool. I think that's awesome. You know, I, I kind of found something similar. I think from my standpoint, one of the one of the hurdles of getting all those groups off the ground was like, you know, when you when you register for Solon Ensemble, it's in what mid-November and like, you know, we're just finishing marching band and we're thinking about, you know, the collage concert we have in December and it's just kind of hard to get the kids organized I think for that date so we I did something similar to that where you know the Solon Ensemble is kind of an optional part of it for kids who are maybe more serious but then every student in my program has to do something on our chamber recital which is usually in May actually after our spring concert and that's been really successful too to kind of promote that kind of culture a little bit. Wow. Yeah, no, that would be really cool. Do you have trouble getting buy-in from the students? I would be worried about kids um, not being quite as prepared as they should be. Not, not, I mean, a little bit. So I should say it's not, maybe not, maybe I'm uh, overselling it a little bit. So the minimum, I guess, requirement that a kid would have to do is, you know, I do like a all brass piece and an all wooden piece and a saxophone ensemble and a percussion ensemble that like, I have three bands just like you. So like the brass all all three bands prepare the same piece. Okay. So like the, like I said, the, that would be the minimum requirement would be to be that piece um, that we kind of prepare during class. Then students have the option of, you know, doing a, a brass quintet or a woodwind quintet or any other kind of combination that they want to come up with that they can perform at that event. So, you know, it, I guess like kind of the entry level for students is that kind of like required piece, I guess. Um, I think the, the hard thing for me is um, then like, what do you do with those students at the, at the performance? So then I, I make, you know, all the kids stay there. And so like, you know, their parents come, it's almost like a concert. I kind of call it like a deconstructed band concert, you know? Um, and so, you know, their kid might only play in a three minute piece for like an hour long concert. So that's always, that's been kind of like a, a challenge of, of trying to sell it that package it in that, in that uh, format. Right. I think there's going to be a lot of band directors experimenting with that folk format this year too. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. So that was me, my follow-up to, you know, we're, we're in the middle of this kind of hoping we are kind of winding down this, the COVID pandemic, but it looks like it's going to just kind of rear its ugly head again here, especially when school starts. Are you guys starting face-to-face? -face? We are, we are starting face-to-face -face and we, um, Livonia is offering two choices. You come to school or you stay home Yeah, and there's, there's no in between. So yeah. we're kind of expecting pretty full classes and, um, it's, it's a little interesting. Wow. And, and so are you going to potentially have like 50 or 60 kids in one hour? Well, what they're doing, typically we teach five out of six classes. Um, so they're moving us to a block schedule and they're going to have us teach six out of six classes, which should lower our class sizes a little bit. Okay. Um, and so my largest class is typically my middle band, which usually has about 70 kids in it. So that'll be cut in half. And I think I'm going to cut, I'm going to split it. So I've got a woodwind class and a brass class. And then I'm going to, I have 13 percussionists in that class. I'll split them down the middle and half and half. And so okay. we'll have a 
woodwind ensemble, a brass ensemble, and then two small percussion ensembles. And I've got a student teacher this fall, thank goodness, who yeah. will um, help a whole lot with that. That's that sounds like a pretty good plan. I know. Are you gonna are you gonna have them playing inside? I mean, I know this is all kind of controversial, and you have, you have to wait and see probably, but. It really is. So my plan is we are going to be outside as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have boosters right now that are making PPE for the kids. So they're making those overlapping instrument masks so the kids can play with instruments. And then when they pull their instrument out, um, it overlaps so it protects them from breathing and coughing. Um, We're going to use the wind defender on the flutes and and shields with the flutes. And then we're going to have the bell covers for the brass. What I haven't decided is if we're going to use the woodwind bands. But honestly, my my big um, hope is that by the time the weather turns and we have to go inside, everything's going to be shut down anyway. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's kind of what I'm banking. So I have no plans beyond um, like October 20th. Right, right. That's uh, that's probably pretty accurate. Uh, we are, I'm, I'm actually thrilled. We, we are starting online. I shouldn't say thrilled. I guess uh, I was pretty, my wife is also a teacher, elementary music teacher, and we have, you know, a 13 year old and a 10 year old. So we are going to be, you know, right in the line of fire with four people in basically four different, three different buildings. Um, and so, uh, you know, when we, our district made the announcement probably a week or two ago that we were going to start online. Um, so I'm, we're kind of looking at, almost like a kind of a mass private lesson curriculum is kind of what we're going to be looking at and trying to offer students, you know, um, a 10 to 15 minute, like maybe mini group lesson with people that are kind of playing the same, maybe the same solo literature that they are. And, and then using kind of Flipgrid to, to assess students. That's kind of where we are right now. But again, everything could change. (laughs) We're just kind of, you know, kind of throwing out ideas at this point. And I think that's the hardest part is we, we can't plan for anything. Right. It's it's very weird to me to be in August and I have no calendar. No. I've not even started listening to music to select anything. Right. I've done I've done nothing. I've done nothing but wring my hands and worry about what's going to happen in the fall and then plan my marching band camp, right. which typically we go away, but we're going to be at home and yeah. we're going to be in pods of 20. Nothing's going to be normal. Right. Um, so we're just going to do what we can with what we've got. Yeah, I think that's that's smart. Well, um, can we transition a little bit and why don't you tell me a little bit about your, your background story? I, I did just a brief research on you. It looks like you're from the, originally from the West Coast, but ended up at Northwestern and then ended up here in Michigan. Is that kind of right? That sounds about right. Yeah, I grew up um, in a suburb of Portland, Oregon, and uh, I went to Willamette University in Salem, Oregon. I, I didn't come from a super musical family. Um, okay. But I grew up loving instruments. So I started on piano and then I played violin and then I played guitar. And then in middle school, I was a percussionist. And then I marched drumline my first year of high school and decided that was too heavy. I want something lighter. So I I switched to trumpet my sophomore year. And that's really what I fell in love with. Um, But I started college as a biology major um, and I signed up for uh, trumpet lessons and and I played in the bands and and then they said well if you declare music as your major you get free lessons cool um and so I just kind of evolved into a band director o- over that time and, and I became super active um in the performing communities around there and then um I ended up in Northwestern after they sent recruiters to um the Aspen Music Festival which is where I played um in the summer and it it was something I hadn't really considered but I was like yeah I'll, I'll I'll give it a shot I ended up at Northwestern it was 
some of the greatest years of my education. Um, and then I married a U of M student, ended up in Ann Arbor, and we decided we'll spend five years out in Michigan and then we'll move back to Portland. Sure. <laughs> that was 20 years ago, right? <laughs> that, that was 20 years ago. Yep. So that plan did not happen. Yeah. Um, did you do your master's in music ed or in conducting? I did it in music ed, but I did have the opportunity to uh, work with Mallory Thompson at sure. Northwestern, which is amazing, taking yeah. uh, conducting from her and then just uh, learning so much uh, of her conducting, but also her pedagogy was mm -hmm. so amazing to be a part of that and to just watch the detail in which she rehearses her ensembles. So it was a really great experience. Uh, that That's cool. That I've heard uh, amazing things about that program. I don't know her personally, but I know that she puts out, you know, great students. And I think Northwestern is a really unique uh, environment because it's small, right? I mean, it's, it's in, in, but it's still ex really exclusive. Yeah, it is. The music school, I think, is only, or at least when I was there, is only about 600 students. Yeah. Um, and I think there were, um, I want to say, four master's students the year that I was there. It's a, um, I did a, the two-year program. I did my student teaching out there as well. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a little bit of a, a mix between kids who are doing student teaching out there and kids who are not um, and, and kids who are doing performance and kids who aren't. But I think there are four that were doing what I was doing. Got it. It's funny. Um, you, you mentioned playing trumpet and percussion. I think there's, there's some like personality overlap between those two instruments. You know, uh, I actually, I, I grew up similar, started on piano, but then started trumpet in like fifth grade, but always wanted to play, always wasn't in, into like drum set, you know, had, a, had been given a drum set when I was younger for a Christmas present and didn't really take off much on it. I think I took lessons for a little bit, but kind of fizzled out and then went through, you know, middle school playing trumpet. And then when I got to high school, I wanted to be on the drum line. So like I, I played bass drum and then I played tenor drums and I played snare drum and I played trumpet one year in high school. And then when I went to school, I played trumpet all through high school, um, or all through all through college. And then um, when I got a job, I started playing. I actually started playing drum set in like a in like a cover band, which turned into a, another group. And then we started. And then it's like a blues band. So I still play. I'm act really active as a percussionist and and a trumpet player. So it's funny that you kind of have those two those two things are kind of similar connected. Yeah, I think I think certain personalities definitely gravitate to certain instruments. Yeah. And I actually married a percussionist. Too. Oh no way! <laughs> I, <laughs> and I, I have three children, and we've decided in advance that none of them will be percussionists. <laughs> we, <laughs> one percussionist in the house is plenty. Right, right. Or like you know, in a in a jazz band, you know, it's always like there's always a, there's a, seems to be conflict between the drummer and the lead trumpet player, right? They're always kind of fighting over you know the time and all that stuff. And that's fun. <laughs> Yeah, strong personalities. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, well, did you have, you know, any moment when you were coming up or going through school where you said, okay, I, I want to be a teacher, like, this is definitely it, I want to be a band director, or did it just kind of you just evolve into that? I, I, I thought about that. I was trying to think if there was a moment or if there was some defining um, experience in my life that that made me know that I'd want to be a band director. And I don't <laughs> feel like I can pinpoint one experience. I do feel like joining bands completely changed the trajectory of my life. Um, uh, like I said, I played a lot of different instruments. I didn't play in the beginning band when I was in elementary school. I, right. I, I don't remember why. I just didn't do it. And then when when 
we joined when middle school started we had to take either band or choir or general music and i signed up for general music and uh because i'd wanted to play the drums and my mom yeah. said no we're, we're not going to have drums in the house so i signed up for general music and then you had to take this little registration card into school and turn it in and i remember i erased general music and i wrote down band and, and then I called my mom and I said, you know, I, I need a pair of drumsticks and, and a practice pad. And I feel like that was kind of the moment everything changed for me. Like my whole group of friends changed. Um, I became part of that band culture that I think is so good for the kids. And it gave me goals and it gave me aspirations and it gave me a passion to really um, spend all of my free moments in. If I, if I wasn't at school and if I wasn't working my part-time job, I was doing something musical. And I think just doing that for so many years, it becomes a part of you. And when I was in college and I was this biology major, I wasn't spending time studying biology. I was spending time in the practice rooms and I was spending time gigging and I was spending time playing. And I, and I think that I just didn't have another choice. That's who I was. Yeah. That's, that's cool. I think that's, that actually kind of transitions really well into the, my next uh, question for you, which is, you know, what, what are your principles of leadership in in teaching? You know, what, what are, if somebody uh, comes out of your program, you know, what are you hoping that they're going to take from, you know, your leadership? Um, Well, I think that's evolved too with, with time. And I think when, I went into music, a lot of it was about the music um, and about the experience of playing music and, and trying to get kids to love music. And that's still definitely, definitely part of it. Um, but after teaching for so long and seeing how much life experience can be had in a band classroom and a band program, I really feel like we're it, a, a tool for helping people just become better humans. And so I hope that the kids who come through my program realize that they have an opportunity to make a difference um, that no matter who they are they have an opportunity to be a leader in in something that they do and to um, get involved in something that is is bigger than their own world and I feel like especially in Livonia I mean and in Michigan people people who are born here stay here and this is a way to kind of get outside of that and to make a difference in a bigger way and to find something that makes a difference in, in their own heart and that they can take with them forever. Um, so it's about the music, but it's not so much about the music anymore for me. It's about the experience. That, that, and that, that resonates with me so much. I mean, I, we're about the same age. I think I'm starting my 21st year too uh, of teaching. Um, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you, you have these great aspirations when you start teaching about, you know, being a conductor and like giving people the gift of music and you want them to feel kind of the way you do about music. And then that's just not necessarily possible. I mean, you're not going to turn everybody into, you know, little music majors. That's not our job. But I think that in the back of your mind, maybe that's kind of what you think you're going to be doing. Um, I think that was like the biggest culture shock for me when I walked out of however many years of school and then first stepped into a high school classroom as a teacher and I and I was walking into Churchill um, as a teacher following a very beloved teacher and I was coming in mid-year and so these people were not in the position to keep music as their focus at all and I was in there thinking we're going to play some great literature and they're going to love it so much just like I do 
and that that was really really shocking to me i was so naive about what i would experience and how not everybody feels the same way i do and not everybody um, is passionate about the same the music the same way I am, but it's my job to be able to open those doors for them and help yeah. them to find ways to connect with the music so it does move them in some in some way and it does make them want to continue and it does make them become the future music consumers of America. Right. And that was a big transition for me. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's more often than not, especially like I said recently. Um, in the last my last five years of my teaching, probably I really resonate with that. And if I ever get a note from a student that's graduating or leaving the program or whatever, more often than not, you know, they're going to say thank you for not for, um, you know, opening my eyes to music. Some of them say that, but like a lot of them say thank you for you know uh, teaching me how to work hard, how to believe in myself. I mean, these kind of soft skills that maybe they could learn in other things, but like music just is really good at that. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I just I actually just like two days ago, I got um, a Facebook message from a former student who is now in the MSU um, medical school. And he said exactly that. He said, everything I learned from your program, I'm now able to apply when I'm working with these patients who aren't necessarily wanting to take charge of their own health or aren't wanting to um, listen to what I have to say. And he said, all of that I learned in band is how to talk to people, how to work as as a team player, how to be compassionate with people that have different views and I that was that was really striking to receive something like that because that's exactly what I'm hoping kids bring out of my program that's powerful that must have been a must have been made you feel good absolutely (laughs) do you think um having your own children has maybe impact that a little bit too oh for sure absolutely um I remember uh, I had a conversation with another um, band director who's a mother once. And I said, you know, after I had kids, I found like I became more empathetic and more sensitive and, and, um, I, a little bit more laid back about things. I wasn't so, so much of a stickler for the rules. And and I really was thinking that had to do with me becoming a parent, but this person pointed out, yes, but you're also older and wiser and more experienced. So it's hard to say how much of that comes from being a parent how much of it comes just from the experience of being a band director and doing things wrong enough to know that you have to do it differently and you have to approach things differently yeah yeah that's 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 powerful and i think that that i hear that from people that are kind of our age you know that you you really are able to focus on things that are what you feel like are the most important and that focus just changes over time, especially when you have your own children and especially when you have a different perspective as a parent and a different perspective as a teacher. Um, it just looks different, you know, for sure it does. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of your own children, um, and you mentioned you're married, what, what are some things that you do to achieve balance in your life? Well, okay. So first, when you asked me to do this podcast called The Balanced Band Director, I I was thinking I'm probably the least balanced <laughs> band director on the planet. I'm sure there's others that are, that are less balanced than I am, but that is always something that I'm really trying to be better at. I'm not very good about being balanced, but some of the things that I do, um, first, when I had kids, I actually went 0.8 for about a decade, so... I dropped one class um, and, and I really was still 
teaching full time. Um, right. By not having that one class, my my administration squished all my classes in one part of the day. It gave me flexibility, and mm-hmm. and I was able to to be there when my kids were little. Um, in the afternoons, which was great. And so I would, I'd be done teaching at one and I would, I would, I would go home and, and I'd put my kids down for naps and then I'd come back to school for marching band. So that's not really being balanced. My life was not balanced at all, but it was a a way for me to balance my home life with my work life and still do both. And now, and I, and I said no to a lot back then too. So I, I didn't do the MSBOA stuff that I do now. I didn't do the chamber music. That's when I stopped doing pit orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that my kids are older I'm full time again, and I've said yes to more things. Um, so in order to achieve, achieve the balance, um, I think it's super important to, what I do is I pursue hobbies that have nothing to do with music. Um, where I, we're a huge ski family. Um, we spend a lot of time skiing in the winter. Um, we fly all over the place and go to beautiful places. And, and when I'm skiing, my phone's in my pocket. I'm not answering emails. I'm not accessible. I can't go respond to some emergencies. So it completely gets me out of the school environment in some place where I'm not able to be accessed and I'm with my family a hundred percent. And so that's been huge for me. So the winter skiing and the summers, we do a lot of hiking and um, biking is, is really something that helps me to, to balance my life. That's uh, I think that's, that's important. And it's funny because you say you think you're not balanced, but I think there are a lot of people that, that don't do stuff like that. There are a lot of us who like, they just are on all the time. Uh, yeah. And especially, I think, you know, many of us are more guilty of this when we're younger uh, that you feel like, you have to be all there all the time doing everything all the time and you don't know how to delegate and you, you feel responsible for everything. And so, like you said, you say yes to everything and um, you're just afraid to say no. I know that's been a, a lot of my issue. And it's funny you mentioned that about the balancing, you know, the balance band director podcast, because honestly, I mean, one of the reasons I even started this was just to have some kind of, I mean, I started this kind of in the middle of the COVID because I just wanted to talk to people, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to see what other people were doing. And like, and I got, you know, I got super into exercise about a year and a half ago. And now it's like, I've made that, that wellness part of my life is just, it's at the forefront, especially now that, that I'm, I have the time to do that. It's been um, kind of rewarding to be able to have the actual time and brain space to be able to do that um, and, and schedule that and make it a part of my life. So um, but I, it's great that you are able to get away and, and skiing and, and all that kind of stuff. Do you ski? And if I can just ask you, just because I'm curious, do you ski in Michigan? Do you ski up north or do you ski in the Detroit area? Uh, I, is there skiing in the Detroit area? Um, <laughs> <laughs> What's that place called? Like uh, Mount Holly or up, um, there's one, some mountain up there. Yeah. Carson, yeah. Mountain is kind of a loose term. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Portland uh, about an hour from Mount Hood. So that's where okay. I was skiing. So yeah. I moved to Michigan. I didn't even bring my skis with me. I'm like, there's no skiing out here. I'm not, <laughs> right. not going to be able to ski. Um, and then when I had kids and my husband wasn't a skier, when I had kids, my husband was, was knowing that I was just missing this balance. He's like, let's, let's take them skiing. Let's all learn to ski. And, and so we did, we went up North to Crystal Mountain, which is like a grand total of 300 feet vertical. So it right. took me about 12 seconds to get from the top <laughs> to the bottom. Um, but it's a great place for the kids to learn and for my husband to learn. 
And then once they were old enough, now we almost never ski up north now. We we yeah. use passes that allow us to to ski the Rockies and the Cascades um, yeah. uh, throughout the winter. Not this winter. And in fact, not yeah. last winter either because I was injured. But um, most winters, that's what we're doing. That's awesome. Yeah, I grew up skiing too. I've been to, my brother actually lives in the Denver area. So, um, you know, I've been out to see him and we've skied a couple times. I should have taken more advantage of that. I should take more advantage of that, but I don't. But I, I get skiing in Michigan a couple times a year. Um, so I do enjoy that that piece of it too. My dream, my absolute dream someday is to go hella skiing. I don't suppose you've ever done that, have you? I haven't, but my dad has. But I'm I'm afraid of helicopters. I don't want to get in oh. a helicopter. But yeah, no, he 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 has and they fly you up and then you just go down and yeah. and and there's no lifts and there's lots of powder and it looks amazing. Looks amazing. I think you can I have a couple buddies who have achieved it doing like um like groomer like cat skiing or like they, they'll take yes. you up in, in a groomer yeah. as opposed to a, a, a helicopter but. yeah you can ski so in in oregon you can ski all year round um yeah. you can you can ski what's called the palmer glacier up on mount hood it's a glacier it's where the the ski teams train in the summer and so you can take a lift up there but they also have a snow cat so if you go up to the top of that that lift you can take a snow cat even higher and ski down from there that's awesome. That would be super cool. This is yeah, not I, about band directing, though. We're that's okay. That's fine. That we're job. talking about balance. That's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, well, if we get, well, let's get back to that. Then we'll get back to the to the career aspect. Um, have you? And this is and this is kind of an unusual question, but have you? And we talked about this just briefly earlier, and I kind of want to circle back to it. But have you actually experienced some kind of failure in your career? um, that you'd be willing to talk about that you feel like it was a real learning experience and kind of set you up for success later. Okay. So this is something I thought about as well, because I, I knew this was kind of one of your themes that you, you tend to ask your guests. And, yeah. and for me, I'm just thinking, what is, what is failure? And to me, failure means that you're giving up. And so, no, I, I, I don't, I don't want to say I've never experienced failure, but I've never gotten to a place where I've just given up. And to me, that's failure. Um, I've had plenty of things not go my way and I've made lots of mistakes and I've endured a million disappointments, but I don't consider any of that failure. And I think that um, that's making it difficult for me to come up with specific examples. Um, I think in the early years, we always experience things that don't go our way. And that's, that gives us the experience to be able to predict outcomes better and become better teachers. Um, and once you're in the position where you know, if I do this, this is what happens. It gives us the perspective to be able to manage the dynamics of a band program and circumvent problems before they even happen. Um, and that makes us better teachers. Um, but any flat out failures, I mean, I don't know, give me an example. What would be a failure to you? I, you know what, honestly, I think you hit the nail on the head, really. I mean, I, by, by reframing any kind of failure that you may experience as a learning experience, I think you, um, are able to learn from it. I mean, and that's, that's really powerful. I think I love what Aiden wrote this down. I think you just said failure is giving up. I think that's, that is really uh the nuts and bolts of it and if you can avoid the giving up part then you you avoid failure and isn't that what we try to teach our kids and our student yeah. teachers and our young teachers like i feel like 
we hit so many roadblocks. And I think back to so many times, like my first year at Churchill was so hard and we were so poor and I needed that job and I couldn't quit. I didn't have, I didn't have a choice. We, I, I had to do it. And I remember just driving to school in the mornings and just dreading it. And I would drive by, there was a penitentiary on my way to school and I'd drive by and I'd look at all the prisoners walking the yard. And I was thinking, look how lucky they are. And look how lucky, <laughs> look, they're just walking, walking the yard, worrying about nothing. Yeah. And I have to go and I have to face this again. Yeah. And, and so I, I feel like we get into these positions. I, people don't realize how hard it can be when you're stepping into a classroom and when you're trying to manage all these, all these teenagers that may not be happy that you're there, may not be happy that things have changed or don't like how you're doing things. Um, and it's all so temporary. And that's the kind of stuff that we have to be able to push through. And I feel like the older I get and the more our, our youth changes, the less resilience they have to things mm. like that. Like they, they have a bad experience at, solo and ensemble and they're just like they don't want to do it again they don't make an audition they don't want to do it again and so I think that being in band is a great way to give them the experience that you can you can fail if you want to call that a failure you can go and get a rating that that you don't like you can miss an audition and guess what a month from now your life is completely fine you are not in a position of deep despair anymore and you can go on and you can try again yeah that's that's funny that you even mentioned that i mean i think about um i have the great fortune of teaching one of one hour a day teaching beginners and i have noticed that more than anything in my career when you talk about kids how kids have changed a little bit in the last 20 or 30 years um and that you know when i first started students would pick up their instrument and they'd make a terrible sound or they'd play a wrong note they just plow through it like no big deal and now one student you know a, a student might not get a sound or they might not play the right note and they just put their, they put their instrument down, put it in their lap and they just stop. And I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? You don't stop. You just keep going, you know, just keep going, put your horn up, keep going. And, and I've, that's something I think that, like you said, it's a great opportunity for us to allow music or allow our programs to impact students. I think we call that grit now. They they actually have a name for it. (laughs) Isn't it funny how they keep coming up with all these names for things that band teaches? Right, exactly. And then they call it character. And and it's it's band. It's just band. You put your kid in band. This is the stuff they're going to learn. You can call it grit. You can call it tenacity. You can call it whatever the newest buzzword is. But it's just being in band. Yeah. Um. Great. Well, let's let's transition a little bit. I just have a, we're coming up on some time here, but I just want to have a couple more questions for you. Do you have what, what advice would you give to young teachers that are just beginning their career? And I know this is a terrible question for this time of our, our lives, because who knows what what our <laughs> jobs are going to look like this year. But globally speaking, generally speaking. OK, if we were not in the middle of a pandemic um, and it was a, just a typical year, I think there's a couple of things that it's really important for any teacher, but especially Um, young teachers to know and I think one of the first things that they need to do is they need to find their people and for me finding finding people that I I can talk to that understand my experiences is so crucial for my mental health and well-being as we plow through some of these difficulties so I have I have so many different band directing friends that understand exactly exactly what's going on and we can get together and we can collaborate and we can vent and we can lean on each other and that's how we get through the hard times so finding your people is super super important and 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 they have to not be afraid of reaching out 
Um, I think the second thing that's really important for young people to know is that you're never, ever going to have it together. And so (laughs) you need to just not pretend like you do. Um, Even after 21 years of teaching, there's things that I do well, there's things that I don't do well. And I'm always, always seeking out advice of others and trying to do things better than I did the year before. So, and it does nobody any good to pretend like everything is completely wonderful and perfect and that you've done everything is at a hundred percent because it just doesn't happen. And if you do that, you're going to always feel like a failure. Um, And then the last thing that I think that especially um, teachers, we always want to be better than we were. And so we have to never stop learning. I'm always looking for people to observe. I'm always picking brains. I'm always listening to music. It's really easy to stop listening to music um, because you get so busy, um, but then we forget what it's supposed to sound like. And, Mm. And it's really important to make sure we stay in the music. We take time to do some real score study Um, And we're building those skills in the classroom um, rather than always being drowned by the extra things that are not musical. That's that is all really, I think, sound advice. Um, I really like what you said there. And, you know, it's it's I think that idea, especially of learning new repertoire. I mean, as if we can just geek out over band stuff but learning new repertoire is just it's just a never-ending process you know and you asked me about a failure I think uh, that I had had in my career I can certainly say my very first middle school festival experience with a seventh grade band in Marshall Michigan was a complete failure because I didn't know the repertoire and and as as I've grown as a teacher and as an educator you know you learn to steer your you learn how to pick music better but more importantly you have you learn how to stay on top of it and it's just something you can it's like i said it's just a never-ending study you know always always and i think that young directors too don't because they don't have the experience of knowing how to pick music that fits the kids in their ensemble they also don't really understand how to manage the time of their rehearsals. So how much time you need to learn uh, different pieces of music. And that just comes with experience. And so not a failure. I think we all go through that. Um, And, and now we have the experience to say, okay, this piece, we've lived with it for a couple of weeks. It's not a good fit. Now is the time to get rid of it before it becomes an emergency. (laughs) And you just don't have that. You don't have that experience as a young director. Right. Well, that actually plays into my next question for you really well, which is, this this kind of desert island recording piece and i know a lot of people hate these kind of questions but i think it really does help us get to know you a little bit better so you know do you have what are your absolute favorite pieces that you just couldn't live without if you were stuck in a desert island you know four or five pieces or even just recordings of your favorite pieces um well that was that that was hard for me to kind of narrow down and because my favorite piece of music is always what i happen to be listening to at that moment that i'm really enjoying yes um, so I was trying to think back to some of the music that kind of defined who I am as a, as a director. And probably the very first one is the 1990 uh, CD that Rolf Smedvik put out of trumpet concertos. And as the first CD I ever owned, my dad gave it to me as a Christmas present, but I didn't actually own a CD player. So it just kind of sat in my closet until I actually owned a CD player. <laughs> and I, I listened to it. It would have been nice to receive a CD player. Yeah, right, right. Um, so I and I listened to that over and over and over as a young trumpet player. Just I mean, because we didn't have Spotify back then, and we didn't have YouTube, and so 
just I listened and I really got that model of sound trumpet sound in my head. So that was my that would be number one. My second one would probably be the piece that uh, defined more of my college experience. Um, and there's a New York Philharmonic recording of uh, Adagio for strings that was recorded sometimes in, in the 1960s. And that was a piece that kind of grounded me through college. So when I started my freshman year and I would feel, I would feel kind of lonely because I was in a new um, environment and I hadn't quite met my music people yet. I would go sit by the stream that ran through our uh, campus and I would put it in my disc man and I would listen to that over and over. It's like nine minutes. And it was like my nine minutes to peace. And it would always ground me. And every time I hear that piece now, I think of my freshman year of college. And I think my current recording that would be um, most impactful um, is Salvation is Created. I have a, I don't even know who's singing it, but it's a, Choral, choral recording that I've got on, on my phone and I play it to my students every single year and it's just absolutely my favorite and I remember the first time I ever played it for a band class I just remember putting it on and the energy in the class completely settled you could feel it you could mm. feel everything settle and get focused and get completely silent and at the end, when the last chord faded away, nobody said everything, nobody moved. And like five se- seconds later, from the back of the room, I heard a percussionist just say, play it again. Oh, cool. And it was like such a cool moment. So I just, I feel like everybody needs to, to hear that piece. That's cool. You know, it's funny. I, my, the choir director at East Lansing thinks, is, he always laughs when he comes in and sees me on my, in my planning period because I'm always listening to choral music. I mean, that's like, I don't know if it's because I just need a break from band music, but if I'm listening to music, I'm, I have like the Eric Whitaker station and, you know, I'm always, I love choral music too. That's, that's really funny that you mentioned that. Yeah. Isn't it? I feel like I gravitate. I actually have been gravitating to string quartets lately. Okay. I feel like if I'm listening to band music, I'm in work mode. And so I'm, I'm always listening to choral or orchestral and lately string quartet because I, I don't always want to be in work mode. I want to yeah. be in relaxed mode. Yeah. You know, and it's funny you mentioned Adagio for strings too. I mean, obviously it's like, you know, it's such a, such a monumental piece, but I think if you had, if you asked, you know, 50 people how that, what emotion that piece brought to you, you get 50 different answers. I mean, when I, when I listen to it, I, it makes me sad and I don't know um, maybe if that's just the frame in mind, but it makes me like emotionally, like it makes me long, you know, makes me long for something. And I don't know if that, I think, like I said, people interpret that piece differently. Um, you know, I know some people think of it as a hopeful piece. You said it brings you peace. Um, you know, it's just one of those pieces. I think maybe that's what great art really is about, is that it, it, it doesn't have a prescribed uh, intention. It's really um, about your own interpretation or your own introspection on it. As long as it makes you feel something. I mean, right. right? That's yeah. I, that's the purpose. And yeah, I was, I, I was thinking about that piece and how it does make me feel peace at the end, but in, in the middle... It's so driving, but it's mm-hmm. driving in such a sensitive way that it makes me feel like I need, I, I'm motivated. Like I'm, I, I need to get up and I need to go do something that has some impact right now. Mm. Got it. Very cool. Do you, do you ever listen to like the, like a, like the brass quintet arrangement or the brass choir arrangement of it? Or do you, are you purist? Do you like the strings only? 
Um, I'm, I'm kind of a purist, but I'll listen to anything. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, Elizabeth, this has been a really fun conversation. It's been great getting to know you a little bit better. Uh, you know, Tim Seabor is our mutual friend, and he um, has been trying to bring us together, uh, you know, for the last year or two. So this has been a great way to, to uh, kind of get to know you a little better. Um, I wanted to give you a chance um, if, if you, you mentioned several people that were mentors and heroes to you, but I want to give you a chance if you wanted to offer gratitude to anybody else that, that you, we didn't talk about. Oh, this is kind of a dangerous game because I, know, sorry. People, <laughs> I don't want to leave anybody out, but yeah, like I said, I've got a huge uh, circle of, of colleagues that kind of keep me going that, that, and Tim Seabor is one of them. He's, he's one that grounds me. So if I'm <laughs> feeling anxious or uptight, I can, send him a text and he's like what are you even worrying about everything's fine um and and then i've got my my colleagues in livonia um are definitely kind of people that um are walking this walk with me so patty kilgore is the orchestra director at churchill and we have spent many nights many late nights at churchill um talking and and making sure that we can we are prepared to to meet the challenges of the next day i think my early um collegial mentor was Heather Wickman, who's also in Livonia and she teaches at Stevenson. And she's probably, she probably single-handedly got me through the first couple of years at Churchill. So I think being connected to the people in your district and also just for me, I'm in district MSBOA district 12, um, which has some amazing, inspiring, um, extremely talented directors Mm -hmm. and using them as, um, as a sounding board and picking their brains and taking their experience. Band directors love talking about what they do. Mm-hmm. And so if you approach any band director and ask them, how do you do this? What's your approach? What's your philosophy? They're always going to be happy to listen. And the district 12 band directors for sure are happy to do that. They're happy to come out to your classroom and, 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 and do a clinic or, or watch you teach or whatever. And just making those connections is so important. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And again, one of the reasons I started this podcast was just to to pick people's brains and, and have great conversations with people. So, um, well, great. How can we connect with you? Uh, are you on social media or are you, are you willing to put your email out if you're in, if people want to connect with you? Sure. People can connect with me any way um, they would like to. I am on Facebook. If you are my Facebook friend, you'll see I don't talk a whole lot about bands. So mm-hmm. you, you get to see my my kids and my dog a lot. Um, during band season, there is some, some band though. Um, you also can reach me at my email, which is eherring, one R in herring, eherring at livoniapublicschools.org. So I'd be happy to talk to anybody. Awesome. Well, I certainly appreciate your time um, today and I appreciate you being willing to come on the, the, uh, the podcast and have a great conversation with me. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for the invitation. It's happy to be here. Okay, well, good luck this fall, and I hope to see you soon. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks. Peace. This has been the Balanced Band Director Podcast. Again, my name is Dave Larzalier. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to our show today. If you'd like to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram, it's Balanced Band Director or feel free to send me an email at balancedbanddirector at gmail.com. Talk to you soon.